God. God who loves us so much that he sent his only son to die on a cross for our sins. And so uh, this morning, as, as we just think and we celebrate fathers and happy Father's Day, if you're a father here, we think of the ultimate heartbreak and the ultimate sacrifice that a father made, our father God, when he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for our sins. So let our, let our hearts just focus on that this morning. What we're going to do right now, we're going to pray and we're going to pass the offering and we're just going to worship. And we just invite you to worship just with that in mind. That the God we serve loves us so much that he sent his son to pay the price that my mistakes and my sin and my failure and my rebellion has caused in my place. Because I can't pay that price. So he sent his son Jesus to pay it for me. So let's let that just really really be what fills our minds and our hearts today as we worship. God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for the opportunity that we have now to just give back a portion to you, God, in an act of worship. God, thank you for your love for us. We ask, God, that each day we would become more like you. That each day we would just value righteousness. That each day we would, we would be more and more sanctified. That we would become more like, more like you. Through the power of your son. Through the work of your spirit in our hearts and in our lives. God, thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for your sacrifice. And it's in his name, the name of Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Satisfy his love. It's the revelation. 
resurrection song. This is my resurrection song. This is my hallelujah. This is why it's the Church, let's sing that again. thank you so much for this morning, for the privilege that it is to worship you, to come into your house with, with rejoicing and with singing. And God, I pray that this morning our praise would be worthy of a king. Lord, that it would be worthy to you. And God, that we would come with pure hearts, pure motives. And Lord, that we would be seeking you with all of our hearts, not to satisfy ourselves in any way, Lord, but to bring you pleasure. Lord, that we may be changed by your gospel and by your presence here in this very place. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the reminder that is communion that we've been able to engage in this morning. Lord, as we engage in your word, I pray, Lord, that you would just do a work in our lives. In Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. You can have a seat. Well, if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, go with me to Proverbs 4. Proverbs chapter 4. As I was heading off to college, my dad pulled me off to the side and he said, Son, let me tell you something important. And I'm thinking, oh, this could go in so many different directions. Part of those scared me. Other of those I was okay with. And then he handed me a $20 bill. And he said, Son, you always need to have in your wallet an emergency 20. I said, okay, it's good to know. And then we were off took me to college, dropped me off. He left. My mom left. My allergies were acting up. My mom thought I was crying. She said, it's okay to cry, honey. I laughed at her and said, it's allergies. I'm really okay. You guys can go now. I know. It was very sweet of me. Uh, and, and so they left. And I remember coming home for the first time. I stopped at a gas station, and I had a brilliant idea. My father had just talked to me about the importance of the emergency 20. I'm in college. Being hungry is an emergency. And so I spent the 20 bucks on convenience store food. And then I went home and talked to my father about the need to replenish my emergency 20 because I had been in an emergency. And throughout college, this scheme worked fantastically. I mean, every single time I got my emergency 20 replenished, it was a great deal. But then something happened. College was over. And so was the money train. 
And so there were no more gifts of emergency 20s. And I made it through the next eight or so years just fine without an emergency 20. I, I tend to be a cashless person. I charge everything. I pay off the bill at the end of the month. I just don't carry cash on me. And so that way, if you rob me, because let's be honest, I'm not going to fend off an attacker, I can dispute the charges and it doesn't cost me anything. Some of you should be disagreeing, being like, no, Brian, we have faith in you. Not laughing at me, whatever, jerks. <laughs> I couldn't fend off an attacker at all. And then it happened. My wife and I were going to the beach, and I didn't have any cash. We were going to this island that promises a tropical paradise. Its name, Hilton Head. Really, all they offer are tolls everywhere. We were living in Mississippi at the time, and we believe in freedom in the South. And so there aren't anything like toll roads. You don't have to pay. That's what your tax dollars are for. There are other ideas here in the North as you arrived to the beach. And so we made it all the way to South Carolina. We, we rode on free roads. Everything was great. And then we hit the toll plaza, which is a friendly welcome to the beautiful island of Hilton Head. And they asked for our toll. To which I opened up my wallet and I handed them my visa. And they said, sir, we don't take credit. At this point, I decided to have a dialogue with them about how the year was 2012, and they really should be taking credit cards by now because everybody was moving to a cashless society. And there were now even places you could pay on a phone without cash, and Brooks just turning her head saying, shut up, just shut up, just shut up. And the agitation is growing, and I'm like, they're like, well, you're going to need to pay in cash. And I'm like, well, I don't have any cash, so I guess we're at a standstill. And so they gave me this beautiful form, and they informed me that I could come back any time in the next week to their office and pay the toll. And so I went to an ATM and I took out a $20 bill and I put it in my wallet. And then I got in my car on Monday morning and I drove to the toll plaza, which just so happens to have the exit after you have to pay the toll. So I had to pay the toll, go inside, pay the toll I missed, and then get back on and pay the toll for a third time, all because I didn't have any cash on me when I got to the stupid island to begin with and I had to pay three tolls for the price of one and to this day I despise that island. All because I didn't listen. My dad told me, always have some cash. Always have some cash. I get back to the house that we're staying in, and I start complaining about the fact I had to pay three tolls, and my brother-in-law's like, well, you should always carry some cash when you travel. That's very helpful right now. Thank you very much. All because I didn't listen to the advice of my dad. Now, here's the deal. We live in an age where everybody likes to give advice because everybody's an expert on everything. And so you do need to be selective. You do need to be careful about who you listen to. But you need to listen. In Proverbs chapter 4 this morning, we're going to see Solomon writing to his sons. And, and we talked a few weeks ago of, of the wisdom that, that God supernaturally gave Solomon, but that was not the only wisdom that Solomon obtained. For we'll see this morning in Proverbs 4 that Solomon obtained wisdom as many of us obtained wisdom. That's through our parents. Proverbs 4, here are sons of father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight 
For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Now we're gonna stop right there for right now. But here's the first, here's the first thing about wisdom. In order to get it, we need to listen. In order to gain wisdom, we need to listen. We need to do more than merely hear. Hearing and listening are, are separate, and anybody who's married knows that. Husbands, I'm assuming you've all been there with me. We're, we're hearing, but we're not listening. And women have just like this incredible sense just to like focus on that. And they just like, oh, they just, it's like gamma knife surgery. They just, they just zoom in on the spot and they know exactly when it's happening. And they're like, you're not listening, are you? And you're like, oh, I am, I am. And I've developed a skill, right, where I can repeat the last three sentences Brooks said to me. Now, I'm not cognitively listening to him, but I can at least repeat him verbatim so I can be like, I am too listening. Here's what you said. I'm, now, no thoughts going on whatsoever, but so often that's how we conduct ourselves through life is we hear things, but we don't really listen. Stephen Covey in his great book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, wrote this. Most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. Let me read that again. Most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. John Wayne put it this way. You're short on ears and long on mouth. Now, this is what many of us are. We're short on listening and we're long on talking. And if we really want to, if we really want to be wise, if we really want to gain wisdom, we have to develop the skill of being good listeners. We have to do more than just hear information. We have to take the information that we're given. We have to process it through our minds because not all information that we're given is good information. We have to test it. Scripture tells us, test everything. Test everything you're given. Test everything that, that, that you hear. So we need to run it through the lens of Scripture. We need to run it through the lens of life experience. We need to do more than just hear. We need to listen. We need to cognitively respond in our minds. And then we need to, to conform our conduct. That's all part of listening. Really grasping that which is being said. That's where wisdom begins. It does us no good just to hear wise things. We actually need to listen. We actually need to let them go through the process of our minds. We actually need to work them out. That's where wisdom starts. 
where wisdom starts. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Notice what Solomon's doing here. He's reminiscing back to his days as a child, and he's talking about the relationship that he had with his parents. Namely, the role of his father and the role that his father played in giving him wisdom. Listen, God's design for the family is this. God's design for the family is that mom and dad are a cohesive unit, and they join together in raising their child. Now, in any unit, in any team, in any hierarchy, in anywhere you go, there needs, to be, there needs to be a system in place for order. And so God established a system in place. And fathers, husbands, you are the head of the home. I'm sorry if you don't like that, and I know that we live in a generation and an age that doesn't like that, but Scripture is very clear. This is God's design. And now I will admit that as a result of, of men doing a terrible job at this, being terrible husbands, being terrible fathers, that, that people look at the system, Christian men included, and they see the system and they're like, well, this is incredibly broke. This, this can't work out. Well, don't fault our incompetency. Don't fault God's plan on account of our incompetency. It doesn't change God's plan. God's plan is for men for you to lead. That's it. It's for you to be the leaders of your home. You're the head of the household. You are to love your wife, but you are the ultimate head of the household. And guys, one day when you stand before God, you will be judged accordingly. You will be judged for how you manage your house, for how you manage your wife, for how you manage your children. I don't care if you don't like it, and God's not going to care if you don't like it on that day. That's going to be what you're held accountable for. You will have to give an account for the role, for the job you did as a husband, and as a father. And this is God's design. This is God's design for the family. This is the way that God orchestrated it. But here's the problem. 25% of kids in America grow up without a dad. One in four. 25%. In the African-American community, it's even more staggering. 51% of African-American children now, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, are coming from homes without a father. 51%. We need to respond to that. As Christians, we need to fill in the gaps. Because here's one of the things that God, that God has orchestrated the family to do. They've orchestrated the family to go in and to provide the children with wisdom. To teach a child, to train a child, to love a child, to be patient with a child. To beat the crap out of the child when you need to. That is all by God's design. And it's not happening. So it needs to start with us. It needs to start with us. And we need to set the example. We need 
to be incredibly invested in the lives of our wives and children. We need to be there. Here's Solomon talking to his kids, and he's remembering back to what King David taught him as a child. See, because here's the truth. Parents, you're always teaching. Whether you realize it or not, whether your approach is solid or not, whether it's sound or not, it doesn't matter. You're always teaching because your kids are always watching and they're always learning. You're always teaching. And so this needs to start in our homes. But it needs to go beyond that because we look at our society and our society's broken and God's called us to be the hope of the world. And so if our society's broken and if our society isn't working, then that which we start in our homes, we need to take out into the community. We need to build mentoring relationships with our neighbors, with, with students in our school system, with those in the city. We need to be involved in the lives of those children who do not have the benefit of being in a family unit like God had originally designed it to be. So Christ followers, we need to be mentors. Sometimes that looks like, like families having a heart for adoption. And God bless you, you are filling such an incredible need. Sometimes it's, it's not adoption, but sometimes it's fostering children. And God bless you, you are filling such an incredible need to, to restore stability to a child who so desperately needs it. Sometimes it's just a mentoring relationship, and that's not meant to discredit the mentoring relationship, but you've just not been called to adopt a child or to foster a child, but you've got a couple hours and you have a skill. And so you're not going to just let the time go idly by. You are going to be invested in their lives, and you're just going to plug it in. Whatever it is, let's rise up as the body of Christ when our society is so clearly broken and let's fill the void. Let's do what we can. We can't totally fill the void. We can't be the fathers and the mothers that God has called each child to have. But what we can do is fill the void the best we can. And we can try our best to fill that gap. And as Christ followers, we must be serious about this. We must take an active role. Why? Because it's clear what happens when those relationships aren't in place. The, the, outright, the outright lack of wisdom and stupidity of so many is on full display for us. I mean, all you have to do is, is really go outside or watch the news or, or pull up your favorite website and just watch a video. It's on display. We, we've turned stupidity into, into pseudo-celebrity, and, and it's just it's running rampant, and, and the problem is look at where our society is now, and it, there's a direct correlation here to the breakdown of the family. And so where it starts is it starts with us as, as fathers and as mothers, and us saying, here's my priorities. God is number one, and family's number two. That's it. God's number one, and family's number two. I love my job, but it's not as important as my wife and my kid. I love, my, I love taking care of my house, but it's not as important as me spending time with my wife and my kid. And I know, I know it's tough. 
because I know the promotion at work looks so appealing and it's right there and there's four guys gunning for it and, and you're one of them and you need to stand out. And I know that dandelions don't dig themselves out of your lawn no matter how much you wish they would, but they just keep growing back and popping up. And it doesn't matter how much fertilizer and weed spray you've put on them or how many hours you've been out there with the sweat dripping down your foreheads into your eyes to where it just stings and you can taste it as it runs down your lips. The stupid dandelions just don't go away. And you don't want to be that one guy that your yard just looks like a catastrophe. And so you're just out there toiling away, but it's not as important. It's not. Keep it in perspective. Keep it in perspective. As a pastor, and I stole these from, from a guy named Chris Brown, who's, who's just part of a great church out in San Diego, but the top couple goals I have as a pastor. Number one is that my wife still loves me. And number two, that my child still wants to pursue God and doesn't hate the church. There are other goals I have. Those are my top two. Whenever I'm done in ministry, whenever it's over, if I can look back and my wife still loves me, and my son loves God and, and doesn't hate the church, then I'll be a success, and I don't care if I've run a church of 500 to 5. That's what I want. That's what I want. And there are other things along the way I want to do. There are other things along the way I want to accomplish, but those two are the most important to me. And I don't say that to, to make you think I've got it all figured out. I don't. And I, I'm a long way from perfect, and I'm a long way from a, from a model father. I mean, my, my son gets on my last nerve, and he's a year and a half old. Like, he can't even help it half the time. And I'm just like, would somebody just shut this kid up? And then Brooke's like, well, just remember who his father is. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> you are so funny. <laughs> Andy Stanley said one time, the days are long. But the years are short. The days are long, but the years are short. So those of you who are in situations like mine or you have kids a little bit older, you can, you can already, those of you who have grown kids, you're like, yeah, we could, we could tell you a thing or two. The days sometimes feel like they last forever. Like, won't this kid just go to bed? And then, whenever you have that day, without fail, he decides the next morning it's time to wake up at 4 a.m. On to a new day, Daddy. Hey, buddy. But the years are short. They go by like that. Keep it in perspective. Oh, I hope one day Ethan's talking to his kids. And he's saying, here's something my dad taught me. As Solomon is his kids here. That'd be awesome. All right, we got to move. Uh, Hear my son and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I've taught you the way of wisdom. 
I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. See, here's the problem. When people are raised without parents, when parents don't give their kids instruction, they don't impart with them wisdom, the problem is they become the fools that my dad talked about last week. That's the problem. They become foolish. And here's, here's the problem. Their wickedness doesn't just inhabit part of them. It inhabits all of them. Every decision they make. Solomon tells us here that evil consumes their lives. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it and do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on, for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. There's no satisfaction in their lives unless they've pursued that which is wrong. They're never satisfied unless they've taken part in wickedness. And see, this is the problem with sin we don't often like to confront it for that which it really is. Some of you are optimists. I've never understood that point of view. To me, we live in a fallen world. Not only if it can happen, will it happen, it's going to happen. Bad things are going to happen. I just, I don't see the world through, through rose-colored glasses. I am not an optimist. I am what I call a realist. Some call it a pessimist. I am just a realist. I know that bad things are going to happen. It's just every time, every single time, if it can break, it will break. And it will break when you, when you least need it to break. That's when it's going to happen. That's just the way I look at the world. But for those of you who are optimists... And I'm married to an optimist. It's a good balance. For those of you who are optimists, here's what happens. You, you, like, to, you like to offer defenses for people, right? You see the fools, you see the wicked, and you're like, well, they're not that bad. What they really meant was this. They, they have a good heart. They're, they're just misunderstood. No, really, really, if you got to know them, if you just peeled it back a little bit, you would see that their heart is in the right place. They just, uh, yeah, they're, they're sometimes a little, but you know, we all can be that way. They're all right. And to you, 
I just offer this. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep, they are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. No, they are that bad. Let's not, let's not cloak it, let's not make it better, let's not sanitize it. It is what it is. And here's the reality but for the grace of God, I'm right there with them. But for the work of Jesus. And the work of his spirit in my heart and in my life, I am right there with them. Because this is the problem of sin. It always looks and it always feels like fun. If it didn't, we wouldn't have a struggle. It always appears appealing. That's how sin is. For some, they start down that path. And the appeal wears off. And everyone around them sees it, except for them. Everyone around them sees the spot they are in life. Everyone sees the trouble that, that, that they're encountering, but they're the last person who can see it. And they have no peace unless they blindly follow their sin. One more step. One more step. But they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. You ever been wandering around in the dark? Maybe it's because you have a, a sleeping spouse in the, in the bed next to you and you don't want to wake them up. You remember, do you need to go get something? Maybe it's because you're on a hike and your flashlight died. Maybe it's because you've just finished toilet papering somebody's house, rang their doorbell, and are running to your car. I've lived all three of those scenarios. You know what I found? That when I'm trying to get out of bed to not disturb Brooke, I make more noise. Undoubtedly, there's going to be a belt, my wallet, a flashlight, or a water bottle I left in the floor that I'm going to kick over on my way out of bed, that if there was light, I would see and be fine, that as I'm on my nature hike and our flashlights died and we spend 40 minutes walking in circles, that if we had only had another battery and put in the flashlight, we'd have made it back to our cabin 40 minutes earlier and avoided the rainstorm that got us all soaked. That had we been toilet papering people in the age of smartphones, that I wouldn't have tripped over that bush, fell into the ditch, and had to crawl into the car soaking wet after we toilet papered their house. See, but when we're in the dark, things that we could otherwise see 
trip us up. This is the way it is for those without wisdom. This is the way it is for those who've never gained that which is a parent's job to impart. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. So parents, here's the advice to give to your kids. Kids, here's the advice to listen to and to put into practice in your life. Those of you whose children are grown, this is the advice to give to those that you mentor, to those that you want to take and, that, and invest in their lives and give them wisdom. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Especially those of you who are single. Be careful who you date. Be so careful who you date. Those of you who are dating, guard your heart. Be careful who you date. If they're a loser, break up with them. Because what's happened is all too often what happens is you see all these flaws in the dating relationship and you have just all this commitment to this person. No, I'm going to see it through. I'm going to see it through. I'm going to see it through. We're going to get married. You get married. You think I'm going to fix them. You can't fix them. And all of a sudden, all that commitment you had throughout your dating experience, you just lose when you're married and you're like, I quit. It's part of the reason that one in four children are growing up without a father in this country. Be careful who you date. Be careful who your friends are. Guard your heart. It's the wellspring of your life. Guard your words, especially on Facebook and Twitter. Guard your words. Everything lasts forever on the Internet. I don't care what your friends tell you. I don't care what your kids tell you. Everything lasts forever on the internet. Guard your words. Texts can be forwarded. Just remember that when you send them to somebody. You can never undo the hurt you sometimes cause when you speak out of anger. Guard your words. Focus on your future. I, I, love, I love how Solomon says it here. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Look to your future. Don't be paralyzed by your past. I mean, so many people who have just so much potential 
and who want to do and accomplish just great things, and yet you're paralyzed because of mistakes, because of failure, because of heartache in the past. Focus on the future. God's still in the business of redeeming and restoring people. And God can use those failures, that heartache, the brokenness of your past and do incredible things through you. And the enemy comes and he whispers that you'll never amount to anything. God can't use you because of the mistakes you've made. Don't listen to his lies. Focus on the future. Proceed with a purpose. Don't just rush into things. Don't rush into the first opportunity that comes your way. Don't be quick to form conclusions. Be purposeful. Don't be hasty. And last and certainly not least, be committed to the narrow path of righteousness. Not moving to the right or to the left. Committed to the narrow path of righteousness. So parents, spend time with your kids. Turn the TV off. Take a day off from work. If you put in 18 hours, take a couple days off. Take a vacation. Build into your family. Because the reality is this. They're going to replace you at work. You're replaceable. You can be moved. You can be fired. You can retire. And on the day that happens, the operation isn't going to shut down. And if it does, then you didn't do a very good job managing it to begin with. Work will survive without you. Your family won't. Spend time with your kids. Spend time with your spouse. For those of you whose, whose kids are grown, Spend time with your grandkids if you have them. If you don't, get invested in the lives of others. You have so much wisdom. Mentor, encourage, be a cheerleader. Adopt some kids, be their grandparents, whatever you need to do. Don't just waste your wisdom. Build it. Build it. Take the principles here of, of Proverbs 4, 20 through 27 that, that we just talked about. Guard your heart. Guard your words. Focus on your future. Proceed with a purpose. Be committed to the narrow path of righteousness. And teach them. Teach them to your children. Teach them to your grandchildren. Teach them to the kids you mentor. Teach them over and over and over again. This is the role that God's given you. 
This is what he's called you to do. So today when you leave, if, if we know about you, if you're, if you're on our records and you have kids who are under 18, Sarah Mast and Ashley Rochford, along with Virginia Smith and, and Andrea Altvader and some students this week, all came in and helped me with this project, and they all wanted to kill me for it as well, and I don't blame them for that, because here's what we've done for you. For each of you who, who we have records of, and there's some extras if we don't have records of you, we have a jar for you out there with your name on it. And inside the jar are these little rocks. And what these rocks symbolize is each rock is one week you have left before your kid turns 18. This is Ethan. Lord willing, this is the time I have left. This is the best case scenario. This week's gone. Next week, that week's gone. That week's gone. The days are long. The years are short. Listen, we don't expect you to go home and take a rock out a week. If you want to, that's awesome. You have more persistence than I do. But this is a reminder. Best case scenario. This is all I've got left. This is it. So let's make sure that we have priorities that really matter. that we put our family above our occupation. Because before you know it, all I'm going to have left is an empty jar. And I hope when that time comes that Ethan looks at others just like Solomon did. He says, here's what my dad taught me. If he does, and I've been a success. And that's something I really care about. God, I pray we'd be the best fathers and mothers in the community. Lord, I pray that we would take the time to build into our children. God, for those whose children are grown, I, I pray that they would build into their grandchildren or they would find other children to mentor. God, help us remember the time is short. May we make the best of it. May, may we teach our children to be wise to guard their hearts, to guard their words, to, to focus on the future, 
to be intentional. And above all, to pursue righteousness. God, may we never lose sight of what really matters. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.